The Nuts and Bolts of Writing, Season Two, a podcast where we talk about literature, the ins and outs of writing, and how to actually start writing. Hello, everyone. I am R. N. Rovele, one of the co-hosts of the Nuts and Bolts of Writing and co-editor of the literary magazine The Unconventional Courier. Today, I will be interviewing writer Jershom Mabakiao. He is a writer of fiction and non-fiction. His works touch on the darker recesses of the human psyche and Philippine folklore. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of the Philippines, Los Banos. Jershom's short story, A Heaven So True for St. Peter, appeared in the Unconventional Courier in October 2022. His prose is deep and hard-hitting, an incursion into the dark side of human nature that isn't afraid to dive into heavy themes, analyze them and make them come alive with a touch of magical realism. You can find Jershom Mabakiao on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Please follow him and discover his work. I'll put the links in the description below. Hello Jershom and it's wonderful to have you here. Hi Rebecca, I'm happy to be here and I'm actually a bit nervous <laughs> to be appearing in the podcast, but um, I hope everything would be just fun between the two of us. I'm sure it will be. I'm uh, really excited to have you here because uh, I really loved uh, the story that you published in our magazine. So uh, I'm excited to uh, to talk to you and to learn more about you. So uh, first of all, let me note something that is plain to see for readers of your fiction. You don't shy away from heavy topics. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. In uh, A Heaven So True for St. Peter, uh, we see the protagonist struggling with the traumas of his childhood, constantly conversing with his mother's ghosts. So it's not a story for the faint of heart, I must say, but it is so beautifully written that even in its darkest bits, it is so rewarding to read. So um, this leads to my my first question. What are some themes that you like exploring in your prose? Um, thank you very much for the compliment, actually. <laughs> it really means so much coming from someone like you to uh, tell me that my prose is good. <laughs> um, I loved and, it, and uh, I'm sure so did our readers. I hope so. <laughs> Um, well, about the themes that I usually um, write in my prose, um, most of them talk about spirituality, especially um, religious trauma, um, a lot about sexuality um, as someone who is a member of the LGBT community and who is um, non-binary, uh, and then the fine line uh, between pleasure and consent, and a lot about mental health, which is I'm a huge advocate for. So usually when I write something, may it be fiction or non-fiction, it revolves around those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see, right. Yes, and uh, and this really uh, reflects in your story without, uh, without giving any spoilers, but uh, we yeah. see a lot of that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, censorship is something that uh, writers who tackle such taboo topics always have at the back of their mind and especially in today's world of trigger warnings right so i'm not only talking about being censored by the book industry or by a more sensitive readership 
but also about the writing process, about censoring yourself, about choosing how far you want to go when describing such topics. Can you tell us more about this? Um, well, this is going to be a very long discussion. <laughs> We're up for no it. problem. Uh, <laughs> we are all ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, about censorship, um, one of the main reasons why I don't shy away from censoring my works, um, especially the topics, it's very sensitive topics uh, that I talk about, um, is because of one professor that I had back in college who told me that real life doesn't have bigger warnings or disclaimers. Um, she said that um, wars happen all over the world um, daily. And um, this is in response to um, a group of us in that very small class um, adding the T slash W <laughs> disclaimer uh, on top of their uh, their prose verse. And then uh, sh she just flipped out and told us, no, don't do that. <laughs> we were younger and we were in college. Um we were um, presented with these stories that you wouldn't even be prepared about. And that's actually what happens in real life. You don't get uh, a warning before something bad happens to you. And that is the reality for a lot of people, really. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for, um, I mean, against censorship in uh, works, as long as uh it doesn't sensationalize some kind of violence or some kind of um uh i don't know fetishizing um things that are bothersome uh i just believe that censorship um in itself is uh something that is liberating especially for people in the in the less um fortunate parts of the world um uh, actually censorship in itself uh if we do a little bit of research it actually started uh i guess from time immemorial censorship is what's responsible for the formation of taboo as a social concept which we can see in different cultures uh, all throughout the world uh, we can find um censorship through cultural taboos really religious taboos and food taboos uh for example we have uh uh Hmm, let me think of something. <laughs> I guess swearing worldwide, uh, it's yeah. it's something that we try to censor. Um, eye contact with the opposite sex um, in Arab cultures and then the concept of death and sex, these are things that are kind of hard to talk about. But the question here is, why is it hard to talk about these things when these are very human um, experiences that happen to us uh, every day? And... Um, because of this, uh, we can notice a lot of use uh, linguistically of euphemisms as a way to censor these topics and be able to talk about them uh, in a, say, palatable way. And it just, I believe it just takes away from the weight and the sincerity of the uh, reality that is being experienced by these people uh, that we don't know about. So. Um, as for my writing, I talk a lot about um, these sensitive topics as someone who grew in the Philippines, um, where there is a lot of um, media censorship that is happening. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but um, there are a lot of uh, journalists here in our country that are being killed for telling the truth. Uh, 
and then um, just as in, with religion, uh, being the I don't know the biggest Christian country in Asia, um, it kind of the well, people here, especially in the church, have a lot to say about um, these sensitive topics, and these are the things that um, hinder us from actually talking about those um, experiences that matter, not just for the individual, but for um, the collective, especially those in marginalized communities. So I guess it comes from that and that um, desire to be someone who can speak for those who can. I see. I see. Right. That's uh, that's a really fascinating topic. And the, the things that you mentioned in connection to it as well, because uh, um, so so you believe and, and I completely agree that uh, truth is uh, uh, more important than uh, uh, being coy about things and hiding uh, behind realities, because it is important, especially for the people who go through those experience, for these things to be told, right? So it's not the other mm-hmm. way around. Exactly. Because you you talked about the situation in uh, in the Philippines and other such countries, and I think that in 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 the in Western countries. Um, there aren't really the same problems, although uh, not not from um, um, from society necessarily, but people have become very sensitive. I feel in in recent years, and uh, this uh, interestingly also makes them reluctant to talk about these things. So so maybe uh, things are not so strict that people are punished for speaking out, but it's. Um, um, it's, it's it's regular people, so to speak, so not authorities. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just the regular people that do the censorship. And I yeah, find yeah. it really interesting that you are an advocate of this, in spite of um, uh, in spite of having uh, uh, so or, or coming from from a place that uh, call that uh, uh, censors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because um, when we do that, especially for our personal experiences, a lot of people worldwide suffer from suicidal thoughts and um, a lot of um, issues with their bodies. If we don't talk about these things, then how would others know that they're not alone in um, experiencing this and that someone can actually understand them for what is happening to them and their own body and their own mind? Um, it is uh, there is uh, some level of community that can be found in the idea that when these stories are told and you re- uh, somewhere out there in the world can relate to these stories, um, even if you don't see each other in person or you don't communicate um, directly to each other, you'd be able to know that um, there are people out there who are going through the same issues as you and all of a sudden things don't feel as heavy anymore yes that's true so well in other words it is a form of therapy right art and yeah literature very much especially. so <laughs> right right um, so, well, what do you think about the uh, uh, this uh, uh, trigger warning culture, so to speak, where uh, people say that, oh no, we should we should censor everything and uh, uh, but not make it so hard hitting because uh, uh, the people who go through this might be triggered. You think it's actually a form of therapy of catharsis, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, well, when we shy away from topics like this, uh, especially when things are a little bit religious, political, or social in nature, um, it uh, kind of takes away from the experience of life in general. Um, we see this kind of censorship, especially in literature that is aimed for young adults um, recently. And um, somewhere um, I've read um, from study.com, I think, uh, someone said that young adult literature is written to appeal to teenage minds. So it often contains characters who rebel against authority or explore their sexuality, experiment with drugs, uh, deal with negative peer pressure. And these things are experienced by uh, people in general, no matter what culture you're in or no matter what country you're in. Uh, so we, when we uh, shy away from talking about this and try to um, make things more flowery and more um, easier to digest, then the weight of the problems that are happening and um, the pressure that these things um, impart on certain people, uh, they wouldn't really be giving the proper um, spotlight. Uh, it, it's it's basically a, dis, a disservice to to those people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I see. And uh, yes, it's it's really interesting that you uh, mentioned uh, the uh, the young adult uh, uh, novels because uh, um, it's true that in in recent years there has been a lot of talk about uh, um, how to how to write these novels as uh, um, lighthearted as possible, so as to uh, uh, educate young adults and uh, to uh, uh, not give them the opportunities to have any kind of dark thoughts or any kind of, uh, <laughs> um, you know, inappropriate, what, what adults believe to be inappropriate for that age. Whereas uh-huh. when I was young, for instance, especially where I grew up in uh, in Romania, um, mm-hmm. we we didn't really have the notion of young adult fiction. When I was in, in high school and even younger, I would just read adult fiction and I would slam into all those difficult topics that the, uh, the, the classics used to write about. And uh, yes, they did use euphemisms also because of censorship, but the themes were very heavy and they were there and, and, and we had to face them. And really it I, I think it did wonders I mean for me as a writer it, it was uh, uh, it was a great way to to learn about life and about human nature so I completely agree with everything that you've said so far yeah thank you thank you very much and yeah that, that's really true and as someone living in the Philippines our everyday is really um, filled with a lot of tragedies <laughs> to be honest um, it's 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 not an understatement to say that um, a lot of violence can be seen just uh, by walking out the door here in our country. Not to say that it's not a beautiful country. It is a very beautiful country. Um, but there are a lot of layers that uh, definitely are happening and um, a lot of people don't talk about. Um, and if we don't write about that, then how would the rest of the world know that um, there are these problems, uh, especially when it comes to um, for example, um, gay rights is still a really big deal here in the country, and we talk about I we don't talk about it too much. And there's been countless times that um, 
the rights for gay people have been tried to be pushed in the government here, but um, the people um, in the Senate kept pushing it back out of everyone's consciousness. And people in the church just accept that and they move to different things. Like, I don't know, like renaming uh, an airport or, <laughs> or yeah, or um, adding a new, a new road to an already overcrowded area and the priorities here is just really messed up. So <laughs> it, 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 I believe that um, it's through writing and through um, literature that we are able to uh, voice out our concerns. And um, if we censor these truths, then how will other people know what we're going through? And just like Peter in the story uh, that I've written um, in A Heaven So True for St. Peter, um, personally, I also struggled, like him, against my relationships with my mother, um, actually both my parents, and my sexuality, and how to live from paycheck to paycheck as a working student, and the fine line between sex and um, sexual assault. Um, and uh, these things are my reality, which um, I attributed parts to Peter's story in order to flesh out that this character is an entire person with... Um, his own motivations and his own struggles and his own um, psychological battles that he has to face. Um, and those kinds of um, intricacies in creating this unique character can only come from that unique experience that I myself am experiencing. So... <laughs> That that is fascinating, and uh, it's it's wonderful indeed how you managed to make him so fleshed out. Even though it is it is a short story, it is a few pages long, but we really get to see uh, Peter's uh, struggles and to really feel what he is going through. Even though our personal experiences as readers may not be the same, but we really feel them. So what I wanted to ask you next. Um, writing is very often not about what you write, but about how you write it as mm -hmm. well. So how do you approach writing a difficult topic uh, like the, the ones that we've already mentioned? And how do you balance saying what you want to say with um, sort of directing your readers' emotions throughout the story? So so making them feel the, the emotions that you want them to feel. Uh, hmm, that is a very good question. Um, personally, um, how the process looks like for me when I try to write something is um, I have this idea of how to see the magic in the mundane. Uh, for example, in A Heaven So True for St. Peter, the story was actually, uh, it, this is a very funny story. Um, the idea came about because <laughs> I was pleasuring myself one time. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> That's so a good way to start a lot of things. <laughs> Is this going to be added in the podcast? Because <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's um, up to you. <laughs> well, um, I don't know how to hide it. And since we're on the topic of not censoring things, I am not going to try exactly, to exactly. <laughs> So these uh, things are part of life. So why shy away from talking about exactly. it? Exactly. Right? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the point is, um, I was doing it, and then um, men have this thing, uh, this biological thing, when they finish, uh, when they reach climax, there is this 
uh, post-coital blues or something, uh, post-coital uh, mm-hmm. dysphoria. Right, yeah. yeah. And um, I got the idea from there. Like, uh, I asked myself, um, why am I experiencing that? And then I did a lot of research, a, a little bit of research, research uh, into it. And then um, I found out that it's not just me, but it's happening to a lot of males, really. And um wanted to write about that and um, balance the idea of, um, how do we say, taking something very relatable to, um, to the male population and making uh, a really good story out of it. And so uh, I tried my best to um, see what can a person with um, post-coital dysphoria be thinking about after um, reaching the climax. And as for me personally, um, the first things that I um, problematize is uh, the fact that I am a Christian kid who was raised in a Christian household, and yet I am um, doing these things, pleasuring myself, um, having sexual relations with other men, which things that are um, taboo in our religion. And so um, I tried to talk about that. And uh, while writing that, I switch between being the the writer and being the reader and trying to see how things can be packaged even more uh, with the use of words uh, that I use. Um, weirdly enough, I know how to use words better in writing than in speech. So <laughs> uh, there could be times uh, like right now that uh, it would be hard for me to formulate sentences. But when I'm writing... Um, it's really easy for me to um, switch into, um, I guess, that second nature of um, creating the perfect flow uh, from word to word um, in the most concise way um, as I build up um, in the way... Uh, no, scratch that. Um, <laughs> wait, I trailed off from what I was thinking about. Um, well... I guess uh, the best way to package this is to give an example, maybe. Uh, so recently, for my undergraduate thesis, I wrote a memoir about turning into an aswang. It is a mythical monster in Philippine lore. And of course, I use the aswang as a metaphor for my fear and my fight for my autonomy. And um, this memoir discussed a lot of sensitive topics um, such as body dysmorphia, religious trauma, family trauma, um, rape, and living with HIV. And um, given that these things, especially the HIV part, um, is not something that a lot of people can um, relate to, I asked myself, how can I be able to um, write it in a way that other people uh, can see themselves in? And so um, I looked into mythology, I looked into uh, magical realism, and it's something that a lot of people have um, passion for, seeing um, these things translated into something fantastical and something entertaining. Um, That is usually the way that I try to package these um, really hard topics. And uh, I think it helps when you have that... um, 
talent, I guess, or that I for seeing the magic in the mundane and um, translating it into words, it really gets people interested in somehow um, through the process of defamiliarization, <laughs> uh, which is a very um, technical term in, um, in writing. Um, if you do that properly and you get the hang of it, you'll be able really to um, write something that not only expresses what you want to say, but also speaks to other people um, who are not exactly going through the same struggles that you are. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yes, it does. It it, it makes uh, uh, a lot of sense. And you've made some really excellent points there. Um, so how would you define magical realism? Because you talked about it and we see it in your writings. And how does it appear in your prose? Well, magical realism, personally, I think is, um, well, like I said before, it's really finding the magic in the most ordinary things that we see every day. Um, probably, uh, for example, that urge that we get whenever we see cute creatures. Why do we feel that? That certain level of aggression uh, that we want to squeeze it and uh, uh, choke it. <laughs> Make it pop into like a like a bubble, and um, those things uh, when we push them to uh, past their limit, uh, past the limit of reality. I think that's where magical realism comes from, and I know that there's a lot of cultural significance uh, in magical realism, especially to um, Latin American cultures, given um, its roots in um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's uh, one hundred years of solitude. Uh, but uh, magical realism can really be about defamiliarizing these everyday things and um, packaging it in a way that we haven't seen before so that we'd get a better perspective of um, these things that we take for granted. And when we do that, we um, have a newfound respect, uh, maybe a sense of wonderment and a sense of um, appreciation uh, for the things that usually we just won't bat an eye uh, to. So, yeah, I think that's magical realism for me, mm -hmm. mostly. Mm -hmm. Right, definitely. So uh, you are interested in mythology and folklore as well, right? Yes, very much so. <laughs> Right. And, um, uh, and and this is one way in which uh, uh, magical realism appears in your, uh, in your writings, right? Uh, also through this uh, inspiration from uh, mythology and folklore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, one of the local academics, and the reason why I'm really into magical realism and mythology is because um, this um, local academic and writer... Um, of folklore and sexuality, Mr. Jamie Garcia uh, wrote in his essay that we should be looking at our local mythologies because uh, there's bound to be a certain level of truth in there. And that truth is what underpins our reality. And um, what that means is that it's less about the supernatural elements and more about what they represent. Uh, so... Personally, I like using mythology and magical realism in my writing because there are these really big abstract truths uh, that are hard to swallow when told in a completely realistic way. 
for example, uh, in the story that I wrote, um, I have in So Trooper St. Peter, the ghost of Peter's mom is uh, really a metaphor for something else, which is it's the ongoing guilt and resentment uh, that he feels in relation to being a gay person. And his mom represented this ideal, this uh, figure of what being righteous, righteous should look like. And the fact that he cannot meet that. And at the same time, he resents the idea that he has to feel this guilt when all he's doing is being true to who he is. And it's definitely a murky gray area uh, that a lot of queer people who grew up in religious households problematize. And um, another point in the story is when the spikes protruded from Peter's penis. Uh, my intention for this is to illustrate how easy it is to... Uh, how easy it is for traumatized people to also inflict trauma to others. Uh, the penal spikes represent uh, a particular level of regression um, when it comes to you, a person's humanity. I actually did some research on the this thing <laughs> in uh, male penises. Uh, there are bumps around the the you know the head. Yeah. Um, and as it turns out, it's an evolutionary residue of penile spikes, like those in lions and other animals. And uh, it's meant to be used um, as, as as a way of stimulating your sexual partner. And um, we had that back when civilization was still a concept we haven't been introduced to as humans. So um, in the story, when... Peter forced himself on Danny in an attempt to reach a quote-unquote heaven, he instead fell way, way back into incivility. And this turned him into a monster, just like every person um, who takes sexual advantage of others in order to reach their own heavens um, go through. Those people turn into their own personal monsters. And I know uh, that uh, I am explaining all these things when um, literary, literarily, we say that the author is dead, but just because the author is dead doesn't mean that the reality has been put to rest. Um, and that's what I think is what literature does. It has the power to really contextualize these realities, no matter the generation or um, the culture that you are in. And when that happens, we get a clearer picture of where we are now in terms of progress as humans. And we get to answer the question, how far has humanity gone since the beginning of civilization? And um, that's what A Heaven So True for St. Peter is about, really. Um, we all have our own truths, our own struggles, but um, the question is, where do we go from there? And in the story, Peter chose heaven instead of his humanity. But uh, so in relation to the readers, how, how about us? Uh, what do we choose from here? And our answer to these questions can really help us decide whether to continue on the path we're currently taking or veer towards a different path to improvement. So uh, that's kind of it. 
That makes sense. Excellent. That those were really brilliant <laughs> points that you made. And wow, when you mentioned the the part in the story with the spikes, I just remembered when I was uh, first reading it, and I was so excited when I got to the to the climax of the story. <laughs> oh my god, that is amazing! I just love that part. <laughs> thank you very much, Rebecca. Thank you. <laughs> so, and also thank you for sharing the story with us and uh, all of your thoughts about it because um, uh, it, it's really fascinating to see what you were thinking when you were writing it. And you are right, uh, the, the magical realism and the um, uh, the mythology, the folklore, they are, they are all ways into the human uh, subconscious. It, yeah. This is exactly what all those uh, superstitions are, right? That, that we still hold today, manifestations of our fears. So I think that uh, it, it was really in a brilliant fashion that you put all that into your story, into a story that was up until that point, very realistic. And then we we sort of see him turning into, uh, well, I, I'm not going to say more because we have already said a lot. So <laughs> not going to, we, we can talk about it afterwards and I can then yeah, have, yeah. <laughs> uh, detail on that. But uh, right, so this is magical reality realism exactly yeah. <laughs> what you yeah, described yeah. <laughs> right so um I wanted to ask you uh what kind of fiction do you like reading um generally is it something that is a lot like what you write or is it something completely different so magical realism folklore or not only um when it comes to reading fiction I'm actually a lot into um, young adult fiction because I think there are a lot of um, topics in young adult fiction that um, are very important to talk about that um, adult fiction try to stay away from just because they think it's um, I, they're, they're already above those topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I try my best to um, consume every and all type of literature that I can, but mostly young adult um, fiction since it varies really from generation to generation. What may be considered young adult for uh, millennials may be different for the current generation. And it's really fun to see how those um, nuances and those ideas of being a young adult um, changes as time progresses. And apart from that, I'm also very, very into horror. (laughs) And uh, particularly psychological horror. I read a lot of Stephen King, who's also very good in um in magical realism in his works, and um it, he is actually one of my inspirations whenever I write um really dark topics such as what I wrote for the magazine. And so, um, uh, whenever I read these things and uh, especially horror and uh, young adult fiction. Um, it kind of gives me a sense of catharsis and um, also a sense of, um, I don't know, presentness, I guess, uh, when it comes to, okay, so am, is, is my knowledge of the present world still up to date? Uh, because um, as much as I would like to learn more about the science of things, it just bores me out completely too. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> It's 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 through these things, through uh, through horror, through um, young adult fiction that I I get to be uh, in tune to 
what the world looks like at present um how people are responding particularly to gay culture uh let's say um uh, fiction about um the lgbt community is very different from uh, uh between i mean uh the 90s and now it's it's and it's different for uh at my local literature which is the philippines and um the young adult literature in the western countries so it's really interesting to see um how progressive things have become and i enjoy learning more about how people are and what makes humanity Right, right. Yeah, that that's true. And uh, one last question. Um, are there any literary projects that you're working on at the moment? Um, at the moment, actually, uh, yes, I have uh, multiple projects that uh, I'm working on. Um, recently, I just finished the manuscript for the memoir I was talking about earlier, which is entitled um, Cleave Me Beyond Function. It's um, a collection of personal essays about my struggles with um, HIV and how I deal with it um, along with my problems with religion and sexuality, just as um, Peter has. <laughs> uh, and then what is different about this is that um, I try to experiment with the forms um, in, each, in, in each essay and uh, try to tell what is happening to me in reality um, with still a touch of uh, mythological elements to it. So like I discussed earlier, um, it's me writing about how I'm transforming into this Philippine monster called the Aswang and how that Aswang is the, a representation of my fears and also my liberation. And um, I've actually submitted it to a, uh, a few international literary journals such as the unconventional career and two of them already got accepted um, the others are still under review and apart from that i'm also um, writing another collection of personal essays entitled the year of uh, running away which is about um, well last year it's just last year <laughs> when i took things into my own hands and uh, started living by myself independently and how each month has uh, presented a new hurdle uh, for me in terms of healing and um, getting to know myself when um, in the first 25 years of my life, I've been living under a false personality that uh, someone else created for me. So I'm really excited to have that finished as well and uh, to show the readers of Heaven so true for St. Peter, what I've been um, doing uh, since the publication of this uh, short story. This is really exciting and uh, I'm really glad that you are being so productive and uh, I'm really excited to uh, uh, to read more of the, your stories because I feel that we've just had a, a little taste of what you can write in that one story that we have. So uh, <laughs> we really need more of that. Wow, so this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Jasham, from uh, Thank for you sharing too, Rebecca. all your plans <laughs> and your thoughts and your ideas. This was really fantastic.
Yeah, I hope the uh, the listeners of this podcast would have a great time listening to me because personally, I did not enjoy myself. <laughs> but um, I hope everyone else um, had fun listening to me ramble on. And uh, I really had a lot of fun uh, talking to you uh, today. I'm sure everybody does uh, love uh, listening to you. So uh, thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening.